Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. And at this time now, I ask you, to, if you haven't already, to get out your Crosswalk notes, and we will start the message for today. And as I already said, we're at the end of the story, the last book of the Bible, the the book of Revelation. And in this book, there's a, a lot of symbolism. There are a lot of pictures that are given. And what we will do is start with a short lead in video to introduce us to the book. John, one of the last living disciples that walked with Jesus, was living in exile on an island called Patmos. One day, God gave him a vision, commanding him to write letters to seven different churches. John also saw a series of mysterious and symbolic scenes. He saw a door open into heaven, and he was swept up into it. He saw a throne with someone sitting on it. In front of the throne, he saw a lamb looking as if it had been killed. Lightning flashed from the throne and thunder clapped. People and creatures surrounding the throne all fell down and worshipped the Lamb. And thousands of angels circled the throne and said in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Every creature in heaven and on earth gave praise to the Lamb and to the one seated on the throne. Next, John saw every person who ever lived standing in front of the throne. A book called the Book of Life opened up. Anyone whose name was not in the Book of Life was thrown into a lake of fire. But for all those whose names were there, something amazing awaited. John saw a bright and shining city descend from the sky. A loud voice told him this was where all of God's people will live and that God will live there among them forever. God will wipe away every tear and there will be no more death, crying, or pain. A river as clear as crystal flowed from the throne of God through the middle of this great city. Next to the river stood the tree of life, which healed the world from every wrong, making all things perfect. Then Jesus himself, standing with John, said, Come, let those who are thirsty come. Let all who wish take a free gift of the water of life. As we begin today, I'd like you to think in, in your own life about something that you, you look into the future and, and something that you know you're going to have to face or, or something maybe even that you are facing already that on the one hand gives you a certain amount of nervousness and, and fear, but on the other hand, that you, you look forward to it, and, and it's something that, that you are really looking forward to. And so this time of year, it might be a child who's stayed at home with mom uh, and, and, or with dad or whoever it is, and now they're going into a classroom situation for the first time, and, and they're going to be a big girl or a big boy, and, and they're, they're excited about it, but, but if you were to ask them, they would probably say they're a little afraid at the same time. This could be someone who's going to be going away to college and, and living away from their parents for the first time. And, and they're excited about it, excited about the college scene, their education. And, and yet at the same time, they, they know it's going to be difficult. 
It could be someone who has a new baby. And, and as you look at having a child to say, you know, wow, we expect this, this, this baby to bring joy into our lives. But, but if we're honest and, and our, our child acts like we do when we were children, uh, that there's going to be good times and bad times. And, and so we, we look forward to it, but yet there's a sense of, of, of nervousness as well. If, if someone, maybe this might even be a better one, of someone who's going into the military. And they, they are going through the first part, which is to go through the boot camp, which will, will probably be one of the most difficult things they go through. Uh, and it's meant to be that as a test, but also it's very rewarding. Uh, and, and it's something that they will grow and, and come out of it on the other side, uh, being hopefully a better person for it and better equipped uh, to, to face what they will need to face as a soldier. I think about this a little bit, and I try to look back at my life in this way. And, and one of the things that uh, my parents decided to do when I was in eighth grade was to send me away to a prep school. And so when I started freshman year of high school, I moved away from home, and I was living in a dorm. And it was an, an interesting time for me. It's something I wanted to do, but, but I had grown up when I was in eighth grade, there were 10 kids in 8th grade and about 90 kids total in my school. That I was in a, a school where uh, the desk I had was the desk I had all day. So I never moved around, in the, even in the building before. So this whole idea of changing classrooms, going to different buildings, was something totally different to me. And so as I was looking forward, and I'll be honest, I was, there was a, I was excited, but I was nervous at the same time. I had other individuals that had gone through that same type of school or gone away to school talk to me. And they warned me about specific things. One of them was the, the, the studies. And at the prep school I was going to, I remember the one I was most worried about was Latin. You had to take Latin every year, four years of Latin. And I never studied another language and, and didn't know how, how I was going to do it. Uh, the average grade point average of the school that I was going to was 3.5. Uh, which means that there was a high expectation uh, for people and students who were going there. Another part was uh, sports and extracurriculars. That in a, in a school of 80, 100 kids, when you went out for a sport, uh, you, you played. That was just the way that it was. And, and so someone told me, you know what, just so you know, you're going to go there, there's going to be freshman team, there's going to be JV team, and then a varsity team, and every year they make cuts. So understand that there is a much higher level of, of things with academic or with athletics as well. And I know you're thinking that doesn't apply to me, so yeah, whatever. And then finally, the final thing that to deal with was the fact that growing up in a family with eight kids and having my older brothers, my older brothers pretty much beat me up on a regular basis, but they were really good about not letting anyone else beat me up. And so it was like something they reserved for themselves, and so they looked out for me. They did. And, and now I was in a situation coming as a freshman into a, a dorm situation. And this was 30-plus years ago when initiation and things like that still took place. And, 
and now you, your parents wouldn't be there, and 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 you're faced uh, facing these things growing up at a really young age. When you hear that, and I know I, I've gone through it with my own kids to to think, would I do that? And I'm, I bet a bunch of you here are saying, were your parents nuts? Are they crazy that, that they would send you away at that young of age? I could never do that. And, and I can understand where that is coming from, but looking back now 30 plus years, I, I realize going through that was some of the most painful things that I've gone through emotionally, but they're also some of the most rewarding things that I've gone through in my life as well. And so as I look back, if I was talking to someone today who was 13 years old, 14 years old, who was considering doing that, I would probably be able to give them a little bit of insight. But in actuality, having gone through it and trying to explain it to someone who hasn't, I could maybe give them some ideas and suggestions, and and those things would be helpful. But ultimately, they have to go through it themselves. This makes me wonder, in the book of Revelation, how hard it was for John that after God let him see some of the things that had happened in the past, some of the things that were happening in the present, and then what would happen in the future, that that he got not only to to see it, but experience it in a way that that as we look at it, we, we truly can understand. And so what he did and what God chose to do is have him write this down. And he used imagery and he used pictures and and he used symbolism so that we might get a, a better grasp and understanding of what is going on in our lives now and, and what the future holds until we are with God. And so today, as as we look at the book of Revelation, this could be, uh, we could preach the book of Revelation for a year. And so I hope you're not too disappointed that we can't spend time uh, specifically like in one book or one chapter. We'll be doing that in a, in a couple months. We have a, a sermon series coming up called CPR, Christ's Promises and Revelation. And, it, and it we'll be looking specifically at letters written to the churches. But for today, what we're going to do is look at an overview of Revelation that will help you as you read it and hopefully uh, help you to, to grow in confidence as you look towards the future and the future of God coming back to be with us. So I ask you to take a moment to look in your your notes, and we will start with the first portion from Revelation 1, verse 8. Revelation 1, verse 8. And this is now God speaking to, to John says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Alpha and Omega. Greek alphabet. Alpha, the first letter, omega, the last. That God's saying, I'm A and Z and everything in between. That as I look at the past, the present, and the future, that God says, I am in all of them. I am not bound by time. I am the Lord. I am almighty. I am in control. And when I, I read these words, it, it's kind of interesting because it, it, as we're looking at the very end, it took me back closer to the beginning when the Lord appeared to Moses for the first time. And it was there at a burning bush out in the desert that 
that Moses asked God, who should I say is sending me to the Israelites? Who are you? What is your name? And that is when the Lord revealed himself as, I am who I am. And, and in that, I am, that, that he is a God who is in a constant present state. That whether it's the past or whether it's the future, that our God is not bound by time. And again, I'll say it one more time. It is proof to you from your God that he is in control. A little bit later, uh, this is just a few verses later. Again, John is in this vision. And, and it says, when I saw him... I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write down therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. So who is the one who is speaking to John? It's Jesus. And, and for John, this had to be such a, a relief. So, so he sees God and he falls down as if he's dead. And, and it's interesting because this is John, the, the writer of the Gospel of John, the one who called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And now what's interesting about this is, is that John knew Jesus and remember, Jesus is 100% God, 100% man in one person. He is the God-man who came to pay for the sins of the world. And so what John had seen for three years was Jesus in his humiliation, Jesus in his human flesh, Jesus uh, even, I, I guess you could say, in weakness when he did not make full use of, of all of his uh, powers that were there for him as God. He saw glimpses of them. In miracles, uh, at the transfiguration, when he let his glory be seen. And now, it's just the opposite. Where he has seen the, the glory of Jesus. The glory of the Son of God. And, and it's interesting because the, the words that he spoke are the same words that he spoke when John was afraid in the past. When he had seen Jesus after the resurrection and he told him, Do not be afraid. I'm the same Jesus. I'm the same Jesus who came to, to save you. I am in control and, and I am here to help you. And so in, in the blank you can write, through John's revelation we understand that God controls the past, the present, and the future. Through John's revelation, we understand that God controls the past, present, and future. And this was an important message because revelation was written at a time it, it, closer to, to about maybe 100 A.D. It, it was one of the last books, if not the last book that was written. And it was a time when the Roman government was starting to say, you know what, enough of this Christianity. We have given you the right to, to worship as Christians and as the way. But now we're changing gears a little bit and we're saying, you know who you can worship? You can worship the emperor. You, you can worship the person who's in charge in Rome. And so your freedom, your privilege to, to worship Jesus has now been taken away because we are in control and we will tell you what to believe. And many people said, you know what, how can you argue? They have the armies, they have the power, they are in control. 
And Revelation was written to say they are not in control. God is in control and stays in control. The other part of this that that is also meant to bring comfort is the other person that's not in control. And that is you. And so as we look at our lives and, and, and times where I have to believe you feel the way I do, where everything is out of control, that there are, are things that are just beyond my ability to, to have an outcome, and, and I get so frustrated that God says, you know what, everyone here today, here's what I want you to do. God's in control. And, and that's the way it needs to be. This is the comfort, that God is in control today just as he has been in every day of history and as he will be every day in the future. So now that John gets that, okay, this is the Savior God, this is Jesus, the, the one who is in the book of Revelation, we need to understand that Revelation does use some picture language. And, and I just, there is so much of it, I don't have time. Like I said, this could go on and on and on. But I'm just going to give you an example. And one of them is Revelation 7 verse 4, where it says, Then I heard the number of those who were sealed... 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And now this whole idea of being sealed, I, I, I want you to have a picture of it. And on the one hand, in the baptism, what we do in a sense with, with the, the children or adults, whoever it is that is baptized, is we, we seal them. And that happens when, when whoever's doing the baptism gives the sign of the cross upon the head and upon the heart to mark you as a redeemed child of Christ. It is putting God's mark, the mark of the cross, the mark of forgiveness. Another way that that I would describe it is, this goes back again, as the Bible helps us understand, go back to the day of Jesus' death. And you might remember on the day that Jesus died, uh, they asked for permission to, to bury the body, which they did. And then some of the rulers of the Jewish people came and said, you know, we don't want him to say he rose from the dead. We're afraid that the disciples are going to, to come and steal the body. And, and this deception would be horrible. Pontius Pilate, the, the governor, said, go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. And if you remember what they did, they, they took a seal and they sealed the stone, which means they, they probably took some, uh, some type of wax or whatever it was, and either a ring or some type of stamp, and, and they pushed it in. And basically, the idea of the seal was, this is the seal of the Roman government. Unless you have the, the power of the Roman government or a greater power, if you break the seal, you will answer to them. Of course, we know how Jesus responded. He responded by rising from the dead. The angel rolled that stone away, and and through that, Jesus was, again, saying the truth from the first part, which is, I have the ultimate power. No one has power over me. I am in control. So now the seal is on God's people. The next portion, then, as you look at that, so 144,000, right? So there we go. Now you know how many people are going to be in heaven, right? No. And the reason why, look at the next one. It's just a few verses later when it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every 
nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding white palm or were holding palm branches in their hands. So just a few verses. On the one hand, it says there's 144,000. On the, the next verse, a few verses later, it says you can't count them because there's going to be so many people. And so in the blank, you can write, God uses picture language to reveal the future. Symbolism throughout the book of Revelation. And one of those ways, as he uses his picture language, is through numbers. And so as you read through Revelation, it will help you understand the, that they use numbers. And we, we do that in, in some ways too, I guess, that, that there are certain numbers that like 21 or 7 or whatever that, that are sometimes used for gambling or, or considered lucky or unlucky, 13, things like that. And again, the point isn't that, that these numbers have some uh, you know, weird power, but rather they, they can bring understanding. And so in the book of Revelation, the number 3 is the number of God, and which makes sense, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? The number 4 is the number of the world. And so the four corners, the four points of the compass, and it's very much referred to as the number of the world. And so the number seven is the number three and the number of four. It's the number of God and man together, okay, brought together ultimately in Jesus. Another number that is used is the number 10. It's a number of completeness. And so we do that way if you want to count quickly, right? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. That by tens, it kind of rolls off our lips. Another number that is used frequently is the number 12. 12 was the number of tribes in the Old Testament. 12 was the number of disciples, apostles, in the New Testament. And so we have these numbers. And, and the reason why that's so important is it helps us understand a number of 144,000. Because as you look at that number, you'll remember that 12 times 12 equals 144, right? And, and so, so as he's talking about the, 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 the people that are in heaven, it's going to be the New Testament believers, the Old Testament believers... And not only multiplied, so all that are there, times 10, times 10, times 10. So, so in this number, the symbolism that is used is that all the people from the Old and New Testament, all the people that God has, has, uh, is going to bring into his church, all of them are going to be there. Now, right now you're, you might be going, holy cow, are you kidding me? That, that's how, as you look at that, it's difficult and it's hard sometimes to follow that picture language. But one of the things that, that I would ask you to realize is that you use picture language as well. And the reason why is it helps you to explain things. If you want to talk to somebody who, who lives up in the northern part of the United States and explain to them what the heat is like down here in Arizona in the summer... How do you explain what it's like when you open your car door on a 115-degree day? It's like opening an oven. 
And it comes out and you can just feel that, right? And, and we know that that, that symbolism, I'm, I was warned before I came down here of, of what it was like. And, and even though someone, you, it can help you grow an appreciation for it, the difference is, is when I open my oven, it's not 120 degrees in my house besides. And, it, and, it's, and so we do that, right? We use that. We also use uh, numbers in that way. That, that if I say, I, you know what, I drove by Chavez on the first day of school and there's like a million kids running around uh, between the school and the one the legacy and the new one. And, uh, you know, there's, I think you know that I'm not saying there's a million kids. But there, what that means is there's a bunch of kids, that they're all over the place. And so the book of Revelation, God chose to do that through picture language. And one other way that, that I would ask you to think about it is, if you're like me, you have dreams. And, and in our dreams, there are certain things, our, our dreams are sometimes kind of messed up, but they let us know what we're thinking about. A common dream that people have, I don't know if you've had this dream, but a lot of people do, that they, they start taking teeth out of their mouth, that they're, that they're in this dream and they just, they just keep taking teeth out. If you have that dream, and there might be people here like, yeah, I have that all the time. It's, it's, a, it's a dream that you, from a person who's a control freak. And the reason why is it, it's, a, it's when you start doing that, that they say in that dream, it, it shows that you're losing control and, and that, that it's falling apart. Now, why does your brain do that? Why does it work that way? I don't know. But I do know that it does. And God chose in the book of Revelation to tap in and to use that. We continue. Uh, we have, so we have all this picture language, but now how do we get to the main point? says Romans, or excuse me, Revelation 5 verse 1. Then I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne and a scroll with writing on both sides sealed with seven seals. Okay, so now again, this seal, this authority, but this isn't the authority of the Roman government. This is God's authority in heaven. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And this is the scroll with the names of people who were going to go to heaven. And so now if no one, if no one is worthy to open this scroll, no one is worthy to go into heaven by themselves. And, and later on it says that John started to weep. Oh my goodness, if no one can open this scroll, no one can go to heaven. No one has the authority by what they've done or who they are to enter God's presence, let alone to stay there for an eternity. But then a little later he writes, and they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And again, who is that lamb who was worthy, worthy to open the scrolls, or worthy to break the seals? Jesus Christ. Your Savior, my Savior, the Savior of the world. So in, in your blank, you can write, John's revelation, first and foremost, reminds us that Jesus is our champion. If you read the book of Revelation and do not understand that it's about a book about Jesus, you will be utterly confused. All of it. 
All of it goes back to Jesus and what he has done on the cross. And, and so that's the past. The present then is, is what we are living in and the future is what God promises. So, so if that was the past, what was the present they were living in? Revelation 7, verse 13 and 14. As John is looking at heaven, then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And Jonathan's like, or excuse me, John's like, I don't know. Uh, and that's why he said, I answered, sir, you know. And so basically what he's saying is, please tell me, who are these people? And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And this is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible because this is a prophecy about me. And it's a prophecy about you. As John stood in heaven and he was allowed to see the future, what did he see? Those who have washed their, their, their robes in the blood of the Lamb, he was able to see all believers of all time. Even probably as he sat there, he could see himself and, and what was coming in the future. But the part of this that, that I want you to understand, and this is the warning about the present and, and something Jesus wants you to understand, is these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. But the warning and, and the word that you need to understand is right now, you are in the great tribulation. Right now, that, that is the life of a Christian. Sometimes the church calls it the church militant. The fact that right now we have to fight every single day. The tribulation we go through in our own bodies, having a new man and a sinful nature, driving ourselves crazy and continuing to fight for every inch as we, we, we fight our own sinful nature and, and try to live for Christ. We are in a battle today. We are in a battle in, in the world in which we live, and it is a struggle, and, and it's hard. A little bit later, the, the tribulation is described, and it describes our world. Uh, this is actually from Matthew 24. This was Jesus right before he died, the week before he died. This is what he, he described would be coming. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Nation will rise against nation. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I have a vivid memory of reading this when I was at the seminary, when I was about 20 four years old. And I remember reading it and thinking, well, now I know the end isn't going to come during my life because my heart will not grow cold. That I am so pumped to take Jesus to the world and, and about everything that, that, that's going on that I know this is not describing me. And now 20 plus years later of ministry... I'm not going to say that my heart has grown cold, but I am telling you that I have been beat up. That, that life has, has scarred me. And, and it's, first of all, my own personal life and my struggle with sin, how disappointed I am in Dan Salofra. 
But the other part that, that is difficult is that as a pastor, we get a front row seat to, to many of the blessings that God gives you, and, and we see all of God's successes. But we also see people make the same mistakes over and over again. People who know better, pe- people who, who know Christ and, and, and then, then live as if they don't. We see the world going from bad to worse. That as I look at the, the time that I served as a pastor, that I look at the next generation and, and, and what they're going to face and, and think to myself, oh my goodness, it's getting worse. Maybe times where you say, I thought I could make a difference, but I'm not. And this is, this is why Jesus tells us this, though. Is if you have ever felt that way, that, that he's telling us this about the great tribulation, to recognize you are not wasting your time. And as a matter of fact, what you are doing as you struggle and as you fight, it is not only winning victories in this world, but it's winning victories for eternity. That there is a a parallel battle going on in in the spiritual world and in the physical world. And Jesus' victory on the cross equips you for battle in both. And that as you continue to struggle, we are winning. So in, in the blank you can write, God wants us to know that difficult times lie ahead. And that, my friends, might be the biggest understatement I've ever made from this stage. Difficult times lie ahead. You talk about the picture language. What is he used to describe Satan? A beast? A, a, a dragon? And, and as we think about that, we still use that, don't we, in, in different uh, uh, fairy tales and things like that. And, and we understand that, that what it described is something I can't beat on my own. That when I see it, it scares me to death. And so what I need is someone to come and fight that beast for me. And that's exactly what Jesus did. But as you go through life, when you see these difficulties, again, it's a reminder. Jesus telling us well in advance that as you're struggling, understand this is, this is normal. Uh, this is what you can expect living in a world that is full of sin. But that's not how it ends. Revelation 22, as we get towards the end of the book, it says, Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in the scroll. So Jesus' promise is, is, is as he was here when he came to pay for sin, that he is going to come again. And, and it's going to be a short period of time when you compare it to eternity. It might feel like it's forever, but Jesus promises that he's coming. And what will he bring? Revelation 21, 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And I'm going to read that one more time. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain for the old order of things, the the sin in, in the world in which we live, will have passed away and been destroyed. 
What a great promise. Because as we look at this, I think all of us can relate to that. The tears that we have cried. The death of, of those that we care about who have been taken from us. The mourning that we have of, of loss, whether it be of relationships or whatever it is. Pain. My goodness, every morning I get out of bed. Uh, I think of that as my back creaks and like, okay, here we go. And, and I know there are people here that are in so much more pain than me. And God's promise to you is that it will end. And so in the blank, time will end with Jesus' return and our victory. Time will end with Jesus' return and our victory. If someone would have told me when I was 13, 14 years old about what I would be facing in the next four years of high school and not only that, the college, seminary, and everything I've been through, there are many of the things that I've gone through that I wouldn't want to go through again. But as I look back, at the same time, I'm thankful because they helped make me into the individual I am today. They've helped me to grow up. They've helped me to be more caring. Uh, They've helped me to care more about people. And, And having been in that and the struggles that I've had with sin in my own life and, and with everything, it makes me appreciate also the good times. And, and to say the Lord being with me and the comfort that I've received in the relationships. And, and so as I stand here today, that as I look at my past, I say, you know what? I wouldn't change it. Uh, both because of the good and the bad, I know how it has turned out and I thank God for it. I don't know if you feel that way today looking at your life or if you're in the middle of something that is like, God, I don't get this. But I guarantee you, God guarantees you there will be a day. And that is the last day. When, when you look back on all the things in the book of Revelation that he prophesied that would bring you to the point, and, and not only bring you to the point where you are today, that ultimately will bring you to be with him in heaven. That is the promise of the book of Revelation. Jesus will return, and you will stand victorious with him. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we understand that we are in the great tribulation. We are in difficult times. And and so, Lord, we pray for those right now uh, who are going through very difficult times, those who are giving their life for you, uh, those in in other countries who are are suffering death right now and persecution because of their, their belief in Jesus Christ and their hope of the resurrection. Lord, please be with them, guard them, and and don't let their love or our love for them grow cold. But Lord, help us, again, as we look at these these promises in the book of of Revelation, to be renewed uh, in our hope for you, to look at these promises, and to look forward to your return. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. 
to the message. This song I love, I wait the day that I see you. And uh, talking about the day where we will wake in heaven, where, when we will be with the Lord. And the promise of the book of Revelation is it's coming, and it's coming sooner than you might think. So as you, as you think about that, live in hope. And now go with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. God bless your day and we'll see you on the patio.